Okay, I wanted to let you know, everybody, that. Um, you brought a bottle of water. Thanks. That if uh, you or anyone else would like a copy of last week's class or this week's class, uh, we'll sign up at, on the bulletin board there and it'll be available probably Sunday. Okay? So, we ready? We ready? I thought you were here. Okay. All right. Um, you have Bibles, I hope, right? Good. Watch your Bibles. You want to look up some verses. Now, I want to go back and revisit the uh, dating pattern. Only because I understand it, I see it, I've seen it in action, but based upon the question that Taylor asked last week, I think sometimes that uh, there can be questions in, in your mind you can't figure things out. For example, in the church setting, there may be two people in the church, and the Lord, they may be in a church for a long period of time, and may even know each other, and the Lord may at a point in time show the girl or the guy, either way, that, or both, that that's the right one for them. Or the Lord could bring someone in, the Lord could bring a guy in or a girl in, and they could, again, be in the church for a period of time, and then you know, the Lord starts revealing his word, his will, or whatever, uh, to the individuals. So the pattern here, I believe, that God brings uh, the woman to the man, I believe there's a reason for that, and I say that because in the Bible you see that it says that, that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of um, the woman is the man. There is, a, there is a, a scriptural and a spiritual pattern, not that one is better than the other, but this, there's just a, a, a set up, a pattern that is there for reasons. And I believe that many times w women are more a keen to, and it's more sensitive to things than men are. And so a woman may know something before the guy because they're more attuned to their emotions. Uh, so in my case, I prayed the prayer, Lord, bring the right person before me, and then hit me in the head with a baseball bat, spiritually speaking, to, to get my attention so that I don't miss it. So the point is this, that God brings the woman to the man, however that occurs in a situation. And, and that's a pattern, I believe. And the point I, I really want to stress is that we are to have faith in God to provide who he wants to provide for us in you know, marriage. Now, after the Lord brings the right person, and you have two people that believe that you know, God has brought them together, then dating is something different. You're not dating for the reason to find a mate. Now you may date, you may go out to eat, you may do, you know, something together. Now it's totally different because now the Lord is bringing you together. You start to know each other. You start off as friends, and then things progress. So the dating thing as applied to, I believe, the Christian and related to the Bible, it's, it's not seen in the Bible. But 
If you want to call getting to know someone dating, that's, you can call it that. But the point being that you do that once you know the will of God and you know that you have two people that are, are going to be getting married. Is that clear? Okay. So I wanted to look at that. And then um, we looked at a bunch of different things, and I just want to highlight a couple things, and then we're going to move on. This is related to marrying a non-Christian husband or wife. Um, who comes first? You know, Christ or your husband, Christ or your wife, because that's, that becomes a sticking point with some people, especially that don't know the Lord, because you know, they, they're very possessive. People are possessive of one another. That's why you see domestic violence. That's why you see sometimes a man will, will kill his wife or, or the other way around, because they're so possessive of them. But see, if the thing is right, and you have uh, a heart that is going toward the Lord in both people, then you have a great foundation for a marriage. And then <clears throat> if you have children, will your mate agree? This is very big, I think. Will they agree, if, if they're not saved, will they agree to raise them in the church or to take them to Sunday school or to teach them the Bible? And I'm telling you, that honestly, this happens where... The man will not allow his wife to take the children to church. I've seen it. And then the other way around where the woman makes the man's life miserable if he tries to go to church with, with the kids. If he's the saved one and she's the unsaved one. So this is things if you really get this and you believe it and you're going to trust the Lord, this is going to save you. Tremendous difficulty and problems down the road. That's the purpose of this class. Will your spouse's unbelief hinder your children or your grandchildren from coming to the Lord? That's very big. Okay, so now we move down to when you have a believer and a non-believer who marry, they have completely different foundations. And we looked at a couple of verses uh, and then we talked about light and darkness, and that's where we stopped last week. You are Christians, and that which makes you, you, is your relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, some people say your religion, you know, however you want to say that, knowing the Lord, your relationship with the Lord, all that, that, because... He touches a person's spirit, soul, and body. He touches your spirit. Uh, he touches your soul. And because of that, the core of who I am as a Christian is related to Christ. Everything about me and my life is related to Christ in some way. So if someone's foundation now is different where, let's say I would have married someone who was not a Christian, they have a completely different foundation, and what I value, they don't value. What I think is important, they don't think is important. And now you have all these different problems go on. Now, the reason that is, is because you live in two different realms. 
a believer, a Christian is living in a different realm than an unbeliever. This church thing, this being born again thing, is not just some uh, verse or some words that we took out of the Bible. For each of us, it has become a reality because the Lord should have changed us deep within. So now we walk a different way. You know, we don't go around. Like all my friends, when I became a Christian, my friends, they went to the bars. You know, they carried on. They had filthy mass. They, they told filthy jokes. So when I became a Christian, there was, there was a separation there. Now, I was around them for a period of time, but after that, there, there was no fellowship with them any longer. And basically, after a period of time, I went my way, they went their way. And you'll find that the friends you have even now at your age, 10, 15 years from now, you, you won't even probably hardly ever see them. It's, it's strange how it works, but that's usually how it works. You don't hardly ever see them unless you're in the same church with them. You'll see them. But other than that, if you have friends outside of the church, you, you probably won't see them much once you get involved in work and, and all that. So the point being that you are living in different places in different spiritual realms. Now, in a marriage... If a person chooses to marry an unbeliever, eventually they are, are going to not sense that they are being loved for who they truly are. So if who I am is related to Christ, I'm in Christ, okay, and my wife is not a believer then she doesn't appreciate my relationship with the Lord, and she doesn't appreciate me, and she will not really love me for the essence of who I really am as a person. She might love me the way I look. She might love me because of the things I do for her. Maybe I bring her roses or flowers twice a week. She might love me for all these other reasons, but... The core of who I am, she can't fathom. She won't understand, so she can't actually love me in that particular way. And if you marry someone who's an unbeliever, and I hope, and I say if, but I hope all of you have enough spiritual sense to know that that's going to be problems. Okay, if you do, eventually... You are going to become restless, you're going to get angry, you're going to feel unloved, and you're not going to feel that my husband or my wife really appreciates me for who I am. That's going to happen eventually down the road. And then that leads to some other problems in marriage. Now, I have counseled people in marriage and Christians who pull against one another and their marriage they even admit they're not satisfied in their marriage they're not satisfied in their relationship and, and this is I'm talking about Christians and I said okay now this is what you need to do if you're going to uh, accept counseling from me then I want you to do certain things and you know they said okay we'll do them so when I started to show them what I wanted them to do 
you know, they didn't really do it with earnest. And to this day, their marriage, they're living together as Christians, but their marriage is horrible. It's, it just doesn't produce anything good. So if, and that's the case sometimes even in a Christian marriage. Now, the Lord's the answer to that. But they're not applying the proper principles for it to be what it should be. So if Christian marriages can have problems, what's it going to be like if someone marries an unbeliever? It's more problems than you ever could think of. Now you have, let's turn to Amos. Because I want to read this. Amos 3. Not only do you have different foundations, but you have different directions. And who can tell me what I mean when I say that you have different directions? If, if you marry an unbeliever, you have different directions. Anybody? Different directions. I'm not speaking necessarily of the, the physical thing, the geographic thing. Different directions in life different directions as far as uh, spiritually you want to go, what you want to attain, what you want to accomplish. And in Amos 3, verse 3, I want to read this from a couple different translations. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? And first of all, I believe this is speaking of one's relationship with God, of course. Secondly, our relationship with others, and in particular, our mate. Another translation says, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? And the answer to that question is no. You can't walk together. See, in Isaiah, it talks about a highway that the believer is to walk on. It's called the highway of holiness. It says, nothing harmful or no unbeliever can walk there. You, you can't walk in that place. So if you are walking in the highway of holiness, you're walking uh, toward the Lord, toward heaven, however you want to say it, okay? And, and you're on that highway, and you marry, spiritually speaking, and you marry someone who's not a believer, they're way, way over here. They're off the way. So you can't walk together. And you actually can't even walk in the same direction. And because you can't walk in the same way and you can't walk in the same direction, eventually you're going to be dissatisfied and certain things will happen. You will either you know, continue with the Lord and deal with that or you'll walk off that path and you'll walk over to where they are so you can have some type of fellowship and walk you know, in agreement in the direction that they want to go. So in Second Chronicles, now let me ask you this question real quick. Is the Lord with you? Yes or no? Nobody wants to answer? You can talk to me. I don't bite. Yeah, thank you. Is the Lord with you? Anybody else? Yes or no? Yes, he is. Now, I want to show you something very important. 
Go to Second Chronicles. And you might want to underline this in your Bible. Second Chronicles chapter 15. Now the Spirit of God, came, verse 1, came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. He was a prophet. And he went out to meet Asa. Asa was the king of Israel. Or was it Judah? My, I think it was Judah. And said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. Now listen to this. The Lord is with you while you are with him. So if you are going to go your own way, if the Christian decides he's going to go his own way, then the Lord's not going to be with you in the way that he would be with you if you were walking with him. So he says, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. So walking off of the road... And going over here to have some type of common ground with an unsaved mate is going to mean that the Lord is not going to be with you in that place like he was when you were walking, you know, on the highway, on the correct, in the correct way. Now, if you are to have satisfaction as a Christian, you are going to have to, from the Lord, have this, this sense of purpose for your life or, or, or sense of mission for your life. Uh, you can see this with people in the world where, you know, some people will say, well, you know, I found my, my niche in, in life. It's sports or my calling is you know, doing this or uh, my job or my business. People say that all the time. This is, my, this is my calling. Now, with you as a Christian, when the Lord called you, he called you for a purpose, and he wants to bring you to a place with him so that he can work in you and through you. He actually works for you. And then he works in you. And then he works through you. And so, for example, some people... We use this, you know, they're called to go to the mission field, maybe, you know, two or three times a year. And so that becomes a purpose of their life or a mission of their life that will bring to them personal satisfaction because they have a purpose that's ordained by God for their life. Now, without that, a person is going to spin their wheels, basically, and eventually get tired of explaining to their mate what the calling of God is or why they're going to do what they're going to do. If they're not going to believe, they're an unbeliever, then you know they're going to know, why would you want to go to the Amazon? Do you think your husband, girls, if he's not a Christian, would let you go to the Amazon if you feel strongly compelled to go? I think not. Uh, he may, but I don't think so. 
I think it would be lots of problems. And see, then the call of God for your life is quenched, and then you're feeling not, you, know, you don't have a sense of purpose. So this stuff is, is very important. So now the choice comes, and many times what happens is the person, because you know, there, there's not this common ground, because there's not this, this purpose that they feel for their life, and because there's such a hindrance from their spouse that they begin to disen, disengage from God. It's not that they don't love God anymore, but it becomes a thing where you know, it's, it's always a battle with the mate to do anything as far as you know, the Lord is concerned. And so rather than fight all the time, they, they disengage and eventually they, they go their own way, basically. I mean, they don't continue on you know, with the Lord the way he wants. And there are people that this happens to, and they, they actually become lukewarm, like we see in Revelation, and um, they don't feel that they have a relationship with the Lord anymore because they've ignored that for so long because of their marriage. The next thing is this, and this is very important. How you feel related to your feelings as that, that relates to God. Many times your feelings, my feelings, are irrelevant because God has ordained that you are led by the Spirit and the Spirit will lead you in your spirit, not through your feelings. And there are Christians who, you know, they base everything they do upon how they feel. Women, a lot of times, base their day on how they feel. Base everything on how they feel. Now, you can't operate in the kingdom of God that way. See, God is to be the one to lead you, not your feelings. And I wanted to pass this around. There's two different ones. And this is a cow with a ring in its nose. Can you see that? You see that back there? And I put a little arrow. That's your feelings. You cannot allow, you know why they put a ring in a cow's nose? To lead them around. If the cow doesn't cooperate, they hook, they hook a, um, like a little bridle on there or, or a, 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 um, a leash, and they'll yank on, on that thing. And of course, it's painful. And they'll move that cow wherever they want that cow to go. That can be your feelings. See, your feelings are not to move you and dictate what you do as a Christian. The Lord is the one that is to move you, not your feelings. So how you feel today is not, going to, is not to be something that's going to determine what you do. So let's say tonight... I worked all day, I came home, I was tired. I didn't feel like coming down here tonight. Well, that, that's beside the point. You know, the, the feelings are to be put aside. Feelings are not to dictate what you do. The Lord is to lead you, the Lord is to dictate your path, not your feelings. Now, I'm not saying the feelings are wrong. 
If they were wrong, why would God give them to us? But they have their place, and the Lord desires for those feelings to be put where they are to be and not to be guided by those. Now, I want to show you a couple verses. We're in Chronicles, so let's go to 1 Kings. First Kings chapter 2, verse 4. That the Lord may fulfill his word, which, which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed to their way, that's what I want to show you, take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul. Now see, that's not just a word that's thrown in there. So he says that they would walk, not in their own way, but they would walk before me with all, as I said, all their heart and all their soul. And when you see that word soul, uh, many times that means spirit and mind. Or your mind is, is where your emotions are, your spirit and your emotions. So the Lord wants you and I to serve him wholly. Spirit, soul, mind, emotions. So that doesn't take its improper place. You, know, you give that all to him. And then... Um, in Psalm 143, it says, Cause me to hear your loving kindness in, in the morning, for in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way that I should walk, for I lift up my soul, or I lift up my emotions to you. Now, let's go to 2 Corinthians. Chapter 6. Verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked, together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? So this verse here, uh, where it says, do not be, I believe it's do, right, do be, I, I think that is imperative mood, which is a command. So the Lord is commanding the believer not to be yoked with an unbeliever. And that's what we've been talking about. Now, the real problem here is the person's thinking. So if the person is moved by their emotions, so let's put it, let's put it this way. Let's say that you meet this girl. You run into her somewhere around where you live. And you hit it off really well. And now there's an emotional attachment there. Or girls, maybe you meet this guy, and there's an emotional attachment. Now, our thinking comes into play, and we can continue on in that, and continue in that relationship, even knowing that they are not Christians, and we say, well, we just want to be friends. And maybe it starts off that way, but it may not end that way. And so now you get involved with them, and, and the things that you know, the things that you've heard, the things that you've learned from the Bible at church, now that whole thing is, you know it, but because you are now attached emotionally, now your emotions 
begin to pull on you and begin to lead you down a path that you may even know is wrong, but because your emotions in this with this guy, he might be the nicest looking guy in Pittsburgh or the, the most beautiful girl, a number 10. Not a dime, a number 10. <laughs> and, and you're just so attracted, but you say, well, it's not just that. I like her personality. And there it goes. See, now your emotions begin to pull you, and they begin to move you. And if you go down that road far enough, it's going to be very, very, very difficult to break free from that. See, because now you have the, the bond, you have the attachment. Many years ago, when I was a young fellow, uh, I, I met this girl, really pretty girl. Really, I really liked her. And some things happened. We got along really well. Some things happened, and she basically told me that I want to be married in a few years, and I want to know what you think. And I said, well, I think we're both too young. So she broke it off with me because we were too young. And I, had, I, I was emotionally attached to this girl, the only girl in my life I went study with. If they even do if they, I guess they do that today. I don't know. What do I know? I'm old, you know. But anyway, so... I understand what an emotional attachment is. And I know the power in that to hold you. So, now we have to see now. Are we going to allow our emotions to dictate what we do? Because, you know, we're tied in here with that person. Or are we going to go back to who we really are in Christ and say, you know, I'm going to trust you, as we talked about last week, and I believe that my thinking needs to be changed in this. Okay, now, this scripture here, do not be unequally yoked, addresses the final outcome with two people. And those two people, it says, be not, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What fellowship was light, has light with darkness and unbeliever, you know, so on. The end result that this, this verse is trying to avoid is the person getting together and marrying an unbeliever. I want to pass these around because these are marriage pictures. Pass them, look at them quickly, and pass them. These are marriage pictures. Turn to Deuteronomy 22. You see the little Jessica, just married there? Now, unequally yoked means poorly or wrongly matched. That's what it means. Okay, now... Deuteronomy 22, verse 10. Now, there's a reason why I passed that. Deuteronomy 22, 10. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. Now, in that picture, you know who the ass is, don't you? 
Just another word for donkey, you know. I'm not swearing. It's the one who, mar- who, who was the, uh, the, the cow and married the other one. That's the real donkey there, you see. <laughs> in, in my opinion. But the point is that if you have that, you cannot plow together. You cannot make, you know what a furrow is? They, they make a, a straight line with a plow in, in the ground. You can't do that because you know, a donkey, you know, they're stubborn. They, they're, they're pretty rough. And it, although they do use animals like that for various things, but if you've ever seen a donkey that has its little, you know how they say now, hissy fit? It has its little hissy fit. I mean, you can't get them to do anything. So the cow will keep on plowing, but not the donkey. You shall not plow with an ox, a clean animal, and a donkey, an unclean animal, together. Another verse, and I like this, it says, Do not hitch, see like you get married, you get hitched. Do not hitch an ox and a donkey together for plowing, because you're not going to be able to accomplish anything. You know, that picture there is symbolic of a lot of marriages, where you have a Christian and a non-Christian. And you have all kinds of problems. I, I mean, I keep on saying that, but you now I hope you're getting this. Now, in 1 Corinthians 15, maybe we should post that on a bulletin board down here. Just married sign. Josh, I'll let you put it on there. Oh, there you go. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15. As I said last week, you know, we have to make decisions. We make them all our lives. But this decision, whom you are going to marry, is other than coming to Christ. It's the most important decision. You're either going to have a nice life with someone or you're going to have a hellish life. And I've seen it firsthand. I've seen it firsthand. And I've seen the problems of one pulling one way and the other being as adamant as a donkey. It makes for stress, aggravation, a big hassle all the time, or the majority of the time. Verse 33, do not be deceived. Now the word deceive means to roam from safety, to go astray, to move about without a definite purpose, to be led astray to error, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Take that on a different uh, level right now. Let's say that whenever I became a Christian, I would have continued to, you know, go and run with the friends that I had before I was a Christian. I don't believe that I would be here today because evil habits, they corrupt not just the people, but those around them, if you're going to be there with them all the time and in that. I was going to talk about music just for a minute because I I was going to read this, but I'm just going to read the summary of it because of the time, lack of time. Still dealing with feelings. Feelings are powerful. Do you know that? 
the feelings are more powerful than we really realize sometimes. And this deals with, this is a study, pediat pediatric doctors, they, they had different studies that they made. But I want to read the, the very last part of this. It's very interesting, related to music. See, the music that people listen to is important. Now, you know, some of the music out there is pretty bad. And uh, some of the rap is pretty bad. And those that listen to that, because, it, you know, it, it um, exalts uh, all kinds of, you know, drugs and crazy things, uh, hatred to, toward people and races and all kinds of stuff. So we know that that's bad and we should avoid certain music. If you don't know, then you need to know. But this is the very end. It says, approximately 17% of male adolescents, and adolescence means young people or teenagers, 25% of female adolescents expressed that they like their favorite songs specifically because the lyrics reflected their feelings. So, you know, something there in the song touches their emotions, their feelings, and they start to line up with that, and, and that becomes uh, a powerful thing. The music industry and the music videos, they are, are set to move into the person's heart to touch their feelings, and, and you see this in all types of music, you know, some of the, the country music, they're going crazy, jumping up and down, and, you know, uh, singing their songs and their, you know, arm, linked arm and arm and the whole deal because something in the song, the music, the lyrics is touching their feelings. Listen, music has the capacity to touch strong emotion within the individual and be instrumental in causing them to take a certain action or move in a particular direction. So that music, and let's say, I mean, I don't know what music you listen to. It has some interesting facts here, how much some American adolescents, ages 14 through 16, revealed that they listen to music an average of 40 hours per week. That's like a work week. Music has the ability to touch your emotions and to cause you to set your path in a certain way. See, we don't even think about these things. We listen to the music. You know, we like the, the, the beat. We like the song. We like the words. We have to be very careful because something can get into our heart that can cause us to go in a certain direction, and that direction can lead away from the Lord. You take, for example, I don't want to take any particular type of music, but some, some music, the words, really touch the person's base emotions so that you know they want someone. They want a person to come and enjoy the same thing that they're enjoying. They want someone to share you know, this with how they're feeling with. And that thing gets strong, and then they start to look in another place. Now, I didn't explain myself too well, but that's as far as we'll go with it. But I just do want, wanted to say this, that you need to be very careful what you listen to. And 
I don't even know if any of you watch music videos. Most of them are garbage. You need to be very, very careful with that because it can affect your emotions, especially when you're younger. Especially when you're younger. You don't want to end up like this. You don't want to end up like that. Okay. Now, I'm going to read a few things to you. Love is not deep, tender feelings or an undescribed feeling toward another person. That is not love. That's what people in this country associate love with. And the reason they do that is because the word, the English word love is such a broad term. You, know, you go to Greek, you have other words that specifically mean certain things. But the English word love, I mean, you can t attach just about anything to the word and think it's right. Um, love is not feelings. Love is not emotions. Y you, know, you know what inf infatuation is? I, I wanted to get the, the defini definition, I got it this, this morning, uh, on dictionary.com, you can check this. Infatuation means foolish or all-absorbing passion, something that is desired intensely. So why is it foolish? Because a person thinks it's true love, infatuation. Infatuation is not love. And, you know, when someone is infatuated with someone and they have this intense feelings for them, an adult can tell them that's not love, but they can't hear it. They can't believe it because of their emotions and their emotional attachment. They can't understand, and they think the adult means they don't even know what they're talking about. Or well, some adults don't know anyway. But uh, you know, you know, your parents that know better here. Your parents that know the difference between feelings and infatuation and, and true love. There is a difference. So you come back to the thought, well, then how will I know the person is the right person? Well, you're not going to know that by feelings. Feelings are going to lead you most likely in the wrong direction. Not always, but most likely. You have to trust the Lord to show you somehow, some way, who the individual is, and then you wait, and then... After a period of time when God brings two people together, the feelings will come. Trust me, they will come. But you can't base your relationship on feelings. Because, you know, feelings are like a roller coaster. You feel good one time, you know, one day, or you feel good one minute, and the next minute, you're down. Then you're up, and then you're down. So you can't trust feelings because they go like a sound wave, up and down, up and down. But see, God, the Spirit of God, having your life in Him and waiting for Him, that's a constant straight line. That's why I said before you can't trust your feelings. And like I said, feelings have a place. And, and if everything progresses in the right way, the feelings will be real good. 
and it'll be it'll be really 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 nice it'll be the way it is to be love is not an intense emotional attraction and or connection because you have a connection with somebody does not mean that's true love it may mean that you got involved with somebody and you got moved into this relationship to where now you're attached to them. But that does not mean that's love. That's not love. It means that you're in some type of connection with them. Love is not an intense attraction toward a person to whom you want to be paired. See, the world defines love based on emotions, but the Bible never does. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. See, Jesus came and Jesus died. And when Jesus died for you, is that love? Yes or no? Yes, it's love. But remember what Jesus said in the garden. He says, he says Father, if it can be, can this cup pass away from me so I don't have to drink it? I'm paraphrasing. So Jesus didn't want to do that, but yet he didn't feel like doing it, but he did what the Father birthed him on the earth to do, and he died for you and I. See, now, love, and we'll get to that in a minute, love is dedication. See, a relationship based on emotions alone will fail. Love is not having sex. Love is not liking someone. That's not true love. Love is devotion that is not based upon, upon emotion. The best way to do it is to become friends first, even if the Lord shows. Let's say the Lord shows um, two people that they're for each other. Well, that doesn't mean necessarily that, okay, now that we know, let's just run off and get married. No, what happens before marriage is very important. So the two people need to become friends, and then whenever the Lord starts to continue the relationship, eventually there may be, before marriage, a, a touching, but even that is, is pretty dangerous. It can, be, it can just get out of hand like that. So, you know, being supervised is very good. Very good. But the point is that you start off as friends, and things progress, and then you get married. A lot of people, they get physical with one another, and now there is an attachment there. And I'm not, I don't mean sex. I just mean, you know, physical in other ways. And now there's an attachment there, and, and that just strengthens that whole thing. And if that occurs uh, with someone who the Lord does not want you to be with, then that's, that's something that's very difficult to break. The Bible says a three-fold cord is hard to break. Well, you know, a two-fold cord is sometimes very difficult to break, too. You get two people that are you know, starting to entwine themselves like a cord. A threefold cord, you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Or you could say, uh, you know, the Lord's entwining with you in that, in that relationship. 
but you get two people that aren't Christians, or one is and one isn't, they start to entwine. You know, their lives start to entwine. Now, that, that's, that's going to take a decision of the will to break. So, true love, I have it written down here somewhere. I know it anyway. Is dedication. True love is sacrifice. See, this, this relates to the biblical word. Jesus was dedicated to you. Jesus sacrificed for you. True love is a choice. So there is a, a choice that's made. And true love is directional. So that I dedicate my life to my wife. 100%. Not 50-50. 100%. And she dedicates her life to me. Then you do things to sacrifice for them. I make Linda a cappuccino every single morning. And it takes me a little bit of time. I'm getting pretty good at it, though. But I call her. She swings out of bed with her feet on the bed rails with her hand like this, and I put her coffee in her hand every morning. Now, see, that takes a dedication on my part and a sacrifice because sometimes I'd just rather make a coffee for myself and be done with it. But, but I'm just using that as an, an example. See, now you want to sacrifice for the person, so I make, I make her coffee every day almost. If I don't make her one when I, in the morning when I, before I leave for work, I make her one later on in the day or in the evening. So there, there is a sacrifice that you make, and that becomes what true love really is. And then, of course, that, of course, flows over to the natural, the sexual, and all that. It all, it all is intertwined. But to get it right in the beginning is important. All the other things like, you know, the sex and all that, that comes it follows in, in place. It comes along the line. You don't even have to be, be looking at it or be concerned about it. It, it will be something that is in a, in a much higher plane than if you were to just do that, you know, just have a physical relationship with somebody and, and not be married. Anyway, that's, that's true love. Now look at um, 1 Corinthians 13. Are you still with me? Are you falling asleep? You falling asleep on me? You don't fall asleep? Okay. You listening? Good. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. It, doesn't, it means it's, it, the, the true love is not self-centered. It is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity or sin, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So, so this is a picture here. It says love never fails. Of, it gives you a little, little bit of a picture of what you know, true love is. And it's not what is pictured in our country. It's not what is put up in front of everyone 
uh, on TV and, on, and the, on the billboards and, and all the commercials. You know, th that is not what true love is. True love is something different. And the reason why that there's so many, multiple reasons, but one of the reasons why there's so many divorces is because people go into marriage and they have this idea of what love really is and they find out, well, this is not what I thought it was. And then one thing leads to another. You will be tested in your emotions and in your passions. So that somewhere along the way in your life, there's going to be some test. I don't know where it's going to be, when it's going to be. And some of you might be tested multiple times. Now, I remember some years ago, I was a younger man, and I was at a swimming pool. And a friend of mine, well, it, it kind of a friend, I was around him quite a bit because he lived close to me. Uh, he got married, and he was having some trouble in his marriage. And so I didn't think anything of it. And I, I don't know how long later it was, six months, a year, I was at a swimming pool. And I'm sitting on the side of the swimming pool with my feet in the water. Excuse me. Sitting like this. This guy's wife, he, he wasn't there. She swam up right where I was and put her arms right up on my legs. And she said to me, I want to have sex with you. I was a Christian, you know. Younger. Single. And I told her, no. And she says, I want to have sex with you. I said, no. And so I stood up and I walked away. And pardon my language, but I'm going to tell you what she said to me. She stood in the water with all these people around. And she says, you're chicken shit. That's what she said to me about six times. Because I would not leave the pool with her and go to a motel and have sex with her. So you never know when the test will come. But see, before it comes, you have to be determined in your heart that you are going to serve the Lord, no matter what. That he is number one, and it doesn't matter how you feel in your body and how much maybe you, you would want to do something like that, you have to determine beforehand that you are going to stand strong. And if you are determined, God will strengthen you so that you'll be able to say, no, I will not. And it wasn't because she was married. It's just because, you know, she, I was a Christian. She was, I, I'm not married to her. And so I, I drew the line. I'm not going to do that. So we'll be tested. Now turn to 1 Corinthians 10. And things like that, I, I mean, I don't know. I think the reason, I mean, I'll give you my opinion. The Lord can show me someday. 
But I believe the reason why I was tested in multiple times with similar things was, first of all, the enemy wanted my soul, and he did not want me to teach. And secondly, God wanted me to teach, and so to teach in the Bible school, I had to be tested. He had to test the metal of my life. And I thank God, thank God, that I, you know, I was able, by his strength, to walk the right way. 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 10, 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. And we're all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate of the same spiritual food and all drank of the, of the same spiritual drink. For they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples. So he's saying now the things that happened there were to help us. They were examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lust. And do not become idolaters as some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and, and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age have come. So these things are written for our admonition, to admonish us to walk on with the Lord, and not uh, turn to the left or turn to the right. Uh, as the different examples here uh, say that they did, um, sexual immorality and all these other things. Therefore, because of this, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So you may think, well, this will never happen to me. Well, don't be so sure. You know, you have an enemy of your soul. And don't think that because you grew up in this church that now, you know, you're super Christian and nothing's going to touch you. Well, I'm going to tell you, you better beware lest you fall. And if you get involved with somebody, you know, you may be setting yourself up for a fall. You need to wait for the Lord in your life. Verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. It's common. You know, it happens to all men. These different tests, they happen. The temptations, they happen to all men. But, look at this, God is faithful. If you want the Lord, you know, you want delivered you know, ask him to deliver you before. <laughs> he, 
He'll, he'll do what he needs to do to help you. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. See, so you may feel overcome, but remember that you're not being tempted beyond what you are able. So he says, but with the temp temptation, he, God, will, make, will also make a way to escape. So the way to escape will be that you will be able to bear in the temptation. You'll be able to bear it. So, you know, I got up, I stood back, I told her no, I was able to bear it. It was a little embarrassing. I mean, it didn't bother me any, but I guess it could have been embarrassing. I mean, the way she was yelling and that, I just turned around and walked away. It didn't, didn't affect me. God provided a way of escape so that I was able to endure that. So with the, with the temptation, there will be a way of escape that you will be able, may be able to bear it. So the outcome here of your test, whatever it may be, can determine the rest of your life. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So I'll say something to the girls. So if you get involved with a guy and he tells you, the lie that men tell women that if you truly love me, you will have sex with me. That is a lie that's been around for generations. And women fall for it. They fall for it. So if you get involved with a guy, and the you're, you're, that's your test. You may be tested. Hopefully, let's put it this way. Hopefully you don't get involved with someone who's not a Christian. How many times do I say that since we started this class? I don't know how many. But you may be in a situation, and that may be your test. And if you get pregnant, your rest of your life has changed. There are so many things that can change, your, change you for the rest of your life, not just that. Certain tests we will go into, and if we fail in them, and we, we succumb to the temptation. See, see, there's two things happening. You have a temptation from the devil, and you have a test from the Lord. Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. That was... He was led by the Spirit. That was a test by the Father. Then he was tempted by the devil. So both of those things were going on in the wilderness with Jesus, the temptation and the test. And many times when we're in something, we're being tempted, and on the other side of that is the test. So if we fail, then we, we don't pass the test. We succumb to the temptation, and that can cause us to go in a different direction in our life. So, you know, we need to just walk with the Lord and just wait for him as far as this. You're all young. None of you are married. You know, in 10 years, some of you will be married. But just wait for the right person. Don't get out there and, you know, make your own decisions. And I, I think I said this last week. Choose to marry the will of God. 
That's really important. If I were to, and I don't mean this in any, any way incorrectly or you know, in the wrong way toward my wife, but if I would have judged and I would have picked, I probably would not have picked her as my, my wife. But see, I decided I, long before she was in the, pic, in the picture that I was going to marry the will of God. So that when the Lord brought her and I knew it, she was the right one, it didn't matter. Nothing else matters. Then you, you do that, and then you walk in God's will and his purpose, and you have a, have a nice life. Not that everything goes right, but you have a nice life. Things are the way they are to be. This is from 1 Samuel. For the Lord uh, does not see as man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Okay, true love, and I said this several times, is not sex. Love is not meeting an emotional need. And as I said before, emotions can be like a roller coaster. True love will meet a spiritual need, will meet a, dinner, a, a deep inner need of the individual's heart. And, and then emotions will follow, emotions will be correct, and things will be the way they should be, and you'll be centered upon your spouse the way you should, you know, the way the Lord has inter- uh, created it to be. Proverbs 31.30, charm is deceitful and beauty is passing. It's hard to believe, huh? Beauty's passing. When you're young, you don't think about those things. Uh, my mother, whenever she was young, younger, you know, in her 20s, early 20s, you know, we have pictures, and she, she was very, very pretty woman. She's 96 now. She doesn't look anything like she did when she was 22. And, you know, how many years is that? 70-some years went like that for her. And her beauty in the natural, as far as being attracted to her, that's gone. And as it says here, charm is deceitful. And we looked at the word charm last week. And it says, and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. By God and by others. By her husband. Now I want to look at a couple more verses in closing. Deuteronomy 7. Do we have any questions to this point or any comments? That you, anything you want to uh, ask? Deuteronomy 7, <clears throat> verse 3. Nor shall you, you make marriages with them. This is the Lord <clears throat> excuse me, telling the Israelites that you know, the Gentiles or uh, the, the pagan women, men, they were not allowed to, to marry. Nor shall you make marriage with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor take their daughters for your son. The reason being that there's a, a diluting effect. 
you know, you pour, you pour water in a container or something, you know, even like pop. If you put pop in a, in a uh, glass and you fill the rest of it up with water, it dilutes. It doesn't even taste right. So this is the same thing. It dilutes uh, the, uh, the people of God in every way. Verse 4. The reason here, look it. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods, so the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. So there's a turning. They, the, son, the sons will be turned by the daughters of uh, the land, or the daughters uh, of Israel would be turned by the sons of the land. And then in Proverbs, have you ever heard this verse? Um, Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it springs the issues of life. You ever hear that verse? Let me give that to you in a couple other translations. Out of the heart spring, uh, flows the spring of life. For it is a wellspring of life. So keep your heart because out of it flows the, what's it say? The wellspring or the springs of life. So don't let anything come to stuff up the water of life, the spring, the, the, you know, the, uh, the flow, the river, all that. Uh, keep your heart with all diligence. And in this verse here, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. See, there's a pattern in this verse. And the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. So even Jesus has a head, and that's the Father. So that there's an, an order. There's always an order in, in the Scripture. There's, a, there's to be an order in the church, and there's to be an order in the family. Not that the wife is a lesser person than the husband. That's not it at all. Because uh, Paul says in Galatians that there, uh, there is neither Jew nor Greek, has like a Jew or Greek, slave or bond, or male or female. He's talking about the kingdom of God. See, there are, none of that matters. So the woman is not lesser as some men, Christian men, think. She's not lesser. She's just in a different position than the man. The man is to be over the wife and that's the greater responsibility, and he's to shield her and, and help her develop spiritually and, and all that. He's saddled with the responsibility on his shoulders for his wife. And, and as I said earlier, the head of every man is Christ. That's why you, know, you see this pattern, because you know, the, the Lord brings the, uh, the woman to the man. There's, there's, there's something there in that whole thing. Okay. I'll read a couple verses. You go, you go to Malachi. In Thessalonians, it says that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel. What's, what's your vessel? What's your vessel? Yo, anybody out there? Anybody out there? When it says possess your vessel, what's it talking about? Possess your vessel. Okay. 
that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. In Malachi 2, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament before you get to Matthew. Okay, Malachi 2.15. But did he not make them one? He's talking about, you know, a marriage. Having a remnant of the spirit. And why one? Why the marriage? Why is God bringing them together for one? He seeks godly offspring. Uh, How does that say about the King James? He seeks a godly seed. Is that what it is? Yeah, he seeks a godly seed. So if you have a couple that uh, is unequally yoked, there's a good chance that that, uh, the Lord is not going to get what he wants here. I mean, it's it's possible, but the probability is much lower. Uh, And in Hebrews it says this, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers God will judge. What's fornication? Does anybody know? We know what adultery is, right? What's fornication? The easiest way to, to describe it is that adultery deals with married, people that are married. Fornication is, is sex outside of marriage, basically. That's the basic thought there. So he says here, marriage is honorable among all, and the the marriage bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. And then another verse, and this is the last verse, it says, A wife is bound by the law to her husband as long as her husband lives. So if you girls pick a husband that's not saved, you are bound by the law to him as long as he lives, which can be a long, 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 long time. He might live long. So the best thing is to marry the right person. And don't tell me that, well, the right person the Lord brought me is an unsaved person because that's not in the Bible. All that tells me is that you're emotionally attached. The right person is going to be a Christian, a believer. They're going to be the right one. So let the Lord choose for you. That's the best thing for your life. As I talked about last week, if you want God's best, he'll give you his best. And and believe me, you will be quite satisfied with God's best. And and eventually, maybe you'll see that, hey, this is the very best. This is the best. How could I, could I want anything more? This is the best. I already have the best. If I, if, I, if I desire something else, it might be good, but it's not the best. I have the best. So if you want the best, God will bring the best. Now, that's not to say that the person is going to be perfect. Right? Sure. <laughs> the person's not perfect. They make mistakes. You know, you had to look past all those faults and all that other stuff. Just like the Lord looks past ours. You know, so you get in a marriage, sometimes you have to look past your husband's faults 
and your wife's faults. And you know, see that the one that the Lord's provided for you. Okay, we have any questions at all? We covered a lot of different things, but I hope that these classes have helped you at least to determine for yourself that you're going to walk with the Lord and you're going to you know, wait and marry the one that God, the Christian guy or the Christian girl the Lord has for you. Um, because there is really no other way. You want to please the Lord, this is the way to go. You want his best, this is the way to go.